0: Today's Callahan show is sponsored by MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com and use code word Jerry for huge discounts. For example, you can get the standard MyPillow, which is normally $69.98 for only $19.98 with code word Jerry. I'd call that a huge discount. MyPillow is made in the USA and it comes with a 10-year warranty. It's machine washable and dryable. It's the most comfortable pillow you will ever sleep on. Makes an excellent gift. Get it now. And you can support this show, and you can strike back against canceled culture. As you know, like us, Mike Lindell is constantly under attack from the canceled culture mob. By purchasing from MyPillow, not only are you helping this show, you're fighting back against canceled culture. MyPillow isn't in the big box stores anymore, so you can get factory direct pricing if you order from MyPillow.com using code word Jerry. Today's Callahan Show brought to you by DCU. Do you love your car but hate your car payment? No problem. Refinance your car today with DCU and they could help lower your monthly payment, lower your interest rate, or both. Applying is easy and their loan experts will help you find the loan term and the payment that fits into your budget. Get out of that high rate loan and get the interest rate and the payment you deserve from DCU. Learn more and apply today at dcu.org slash refinance. Assured by NCUA membership required. This is The Jerry Callahan Show.
1: Welcome to The Callahan Show. This is Matt Carano. We are in holiday break mode, but Jerry wanted to make sure that you had some content to get you through it. Uh, Most of you probably are enjoying time with your family and friends, and we are too. But just in case you have some downtime or are traveling, here's some content that'll help you pass the time. Um, On this episode, we compiled three interviews that Jerry did over the last several months. Uh, We had Robert O'Neill, Dan Shaughnessy, and Mike Milbury on the show And I'll set up each one just to kind of remind you of what was going on and then uh, just play the interview straight through. So the first one up is Robert J. O'Neill. And this comes from the August 24th, 2021 episode. And as you probably recall, Biden had already long announced that uh, he was pulling U.S. troops out of Afghanistan. August 15th was when the Taliban took Kabul. And August 30th was the last U.S. plane out. And so this is Robert J. O'Neill coming on and reacting kind of real time to all all of these things, to, you know, from everything from the generals to the Biden administration to the Afghan soldiers and his feelings in general about uh, serving in Afghanistan. So check out Jerry's interview with Robert J. O'Neill and I'll catch up with you right before the next one.
0: All right, joining us now is uh, friend, Rob O'Neill. Rob O'Neill, of course, known as the man who shot bin Laden, former Navy SEAL, author of the great book, Operator, about his eventful life in the SEALs and a uh, really good follow on Twitter, Hey, Rob, how are you? I'm well, Jerry. How are you doing today? Thanks for having thanks, me. Thanks for taking a few minutes. I got to ask you right away, though, that uh, I mean, I'm, I've been following you on Twitter for, for years. Lately, you've been on fire and there's real, there's real passion, there's real pain in these tweets and, and, and including, by the way, your, your new bio, which you changed to just a dude who fought for the country for no reason. Now, that's That's saying a lot, man. Is that really how you feel now that you fought for this country for no reason?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a question of we all go there. I I remember even watching TV before I got to Afghanistan. Everyone running through the streets, shaving their beards, playing music, which (coughs) you think would be allowed in normal society. And, um, you know, I I had friends that died right off the bat, friends that died throughout. A lot of friends die on one day. And, um, um, yeah, just just watching... um, you know, so many friends die right off the bat, especially uh, the command where I worked. Afghanistan was our area of operation. And we just, you know, we let la- everything from helicopters being shot down to ambushes, a lot of death, a lot of Afghans dying. Um, and just to try to pull the rug out because of a political choice, which wasn't made very smart. I mean, you don't just pull the military out and leave 10 to, 10 to 17,000 Americans in Kabul. Uh, and this is me talking to a lot of veterans that I know, a lot of guys. I mean, now now they're they're talking to vets and putting up crisis lines because a lot of guys are wondering why they wasted their lives for for that nothing mission.
0: and but but you did something kind of important. I mean, you killed bin Laden. You killed the world's leading terrorist. So it seems like at least you got that. I mean, uh, there are a lot of other guys, as you point out, who, who've you know lost legs or or lost their lives. I always wonder what a guy like you says to a widow. I know, you know, lots of widows. If they called you today and say, you know, why did my husband die? Obviously you want to be tactful. You don't want to just say for nothing. What do you say?
2: Yeah. You don't want to say not for nothing, but then, you know, you want, you want to ask them the way that I started off is I would ask them. So when your husband died, what was the name of the terrorist that they were going after? And then when the widow couldn't tell me who it is, like maybe their stupid bosses were were elevating people to where they don't need to be. Uh, we didn't we didn't need to go after this guy or this guy. A- and it got to a point where a lot of men and women who died in combat died because of boredom, and not necessarily their boredom it was a boredom of their leaders, and and it was a boredom of. Uh, someone who's a leader 500 miles away who realizes the more missions he gets under commander, he can get a new medal. And that's, and a lot of that happened. A lot of us were saying that internally we didn't have the platforms that we do now, as far as Twitter or Instagram or getting on television, that, uh, a lot of these, a lot of these bosses over there, we have, you know, we haven't won a war since, since, um, world war II. And, and, uh, and yet we still have, if you notice, a lot of these generals running around there with pictures of themselves, um, with with massive medals. You know, you know who else has massive medals? The North Koreans. They haven't fought a long time either. A lot of these bosses are really good at getting together, kissing each other's ass, and then giving them medals for it.
0: The most entertaining part, I think, of your Twitter feed, Rob, <laughs> has been the, uh, the feuds with the generals. And I think you know the people are on your side. It feels like you're speaking for all the guys on the ground, the guys doing the fighting. And these generals, uh, we're getting a good look at them. They're really... Politicians are they not? Um, Millie's the worst. I mean, Millie has to go, does he not?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think Millie has a choice because the, the you know I've had a, about a week to think about this. Either he advised the president to do something and the president said no, and it turned into a complete disaster. So if he advised on the right side of that, he should just resign because they didn't take his advice. He should go. If he agreed with the president on this disaster, he should get fired. So it's it's either. Are you, are, you, are you stupid or just incompetent? Which, which one is it? Because that's, that's basically really the opposite at this point. Anyone, anyone in the group who's ever been on the ground in Afghanistan I could have told you leaving Afghanistan like this, especially uh, Bagram Airfield right off the bat is the worst ever possibly made. With this administration, I'm not surprised because they make horrible decisions all the time, with, which is very common with a lot of the leftists. But uh, yeah, Milley should be out. Um, I think the Secretary of Defense probably figured the same thing. Um, I mean, <laughs> I haven't even been the worst one. Uh, there are not just calls for impeachment, but there are calls for court martial for President Biden because this is this is a catastrophe that will go down in American history. is the worst decision ever made. A series of the worst decisions ever made, and it's all kind of based on a roll of the dice. Like maybe if we pull out completely, they'll forget about us, and then we have people home. It would be great, but I could have told you right, um, the Taliban's coming in. They're going to take over. They're going to start murdering and torturing people, which they're doing. And uh, and, it's, and it's not just a talking point to me. It's, I, I get so down in the dumps about this because this, this a lot of my life was spent in Afghanistan, not just fighting people, but away from my family. And now just for the cause to get ripped out from under us when we could have been thinking the right thing to do for the past 20 years, which we haven't. And all that's going on, all these people in charge are worried about is their next promotion, their next job. All these politicians want to do is have a job of power. So We have we have uh, senators who had Chinese spies driving their cars for 20 years. We had Chinese spies who um, targeted politicians and were, they were sleeping with them. And th- this is it. And if you notice now, they're going to start trying to get away from this. And they also being the media, because the deep state is not just the political hacks in Washington, D.C. It's also the media. It's the bankers in uh, um, New York. It's a lot of people in Hollywood. And they're just going to go back their new religion, which is the vaccine for COVID and show me your papers. That's what they're going to do once. They're going to try to make Afghanistan go away. So we don't know anything about it. And all we we'll it's amazing that the only way we'll have to hear from people in Afghanistan is through the leftist uh, Twitter site that keeps them b- verified. Yet former president Trump can't you stop and just realize what's going on. The big picture, um, no one can tell me really, if you, even if you ask 85% of the public couldn't tell me who General Milley is, I guarantee they could tell you who Kim Kardashian is. <laughs> there, there's little things going on with Hollywood. Look at the shiny object. I mean, what, what, what were the uh, the necessary business open during this BS lockdown? It was Amazon, Walmart, Starbucks, and the liquor stores. Keep them watching TV. Keep them drunk. Keep them dumb. They realized if the Democrats had an honest voice, an honest um, they get destroyed in the ballot boxes. 70,000 people didn't show up for Trump's thing last night just because of a photo op. Joe Biden can't even fill an auditorium. It tells you what's happening. The deep state's working and they're winning because we're dumb.
0: You, you on July 8th, Biden said he sung the praises of the Afghan army and said they were up for the fight. And then uh, after, you know, they gave up after two days. Millie said, nobody saw that coming. Nobody could have expected... You know better than anyone the, the, what the Afghan army was capable of and what the situation was like on the ground. Were they just, just lying That all? Were they just lying about the, the uh, ability the of the
2: Afghans? Someone at the level of chairman of Joint Chiefs has um, 20 to 25 people following him around, doing everything from carrying his bags for him, setting up his Wi-Fi and his laptop and kissing his butt, telling him what he would <laughs> here. Nobody knew it was going to happen is those people, also senior officers, kissing his butt, uh, telling him what he wants to hear. And yeah, nobody saw it coming. Ask anyone on the ground who, who saw it coming. I have buddies of mine, that the way we would just, back, and this is when I was getting out in 2012, when we were forced to bring Afghan out, and they, we would joke with each other saying, It's not an Afghan-led mission like these generals make us lie to the public and lie to the politicians about. It's like bringing your daughter to work one day and she's four (laughs) and you're over there working but she's painting on the dry erase marker with the dry erase marker on the board and she's yelling, "Daddy, I'm helping. And you just look over once in a while between sips of coffee. Yeah, you're helping. No, I I could have told you this was going to happen. The Afghans aren't there to fight. Inshallah, they'll show up for work if, God willing, but God wasn't willing for me to show up Today, they, they, I mean, there are Afghans that can fight. Unfortunately, they're not on their side. I can prove it right now to any general who's listening. Any general or admiral has a problem with me. If we have an army that we trained for twenty years and we outnumbered the Taliban times two, and they lost in three days, my guess is that somebody's not fighting. My guess is that someone threw those American guns to the ground and they ran to whichever stand was to the north of them. That's what happened. We knew it was going to happen. It doesn't take a genius to win this war, to, 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 to solve what needs to be happened now. Um, But apparently it doesn't take a general either because they don't know what the hell they're doing.
0: You had, you had a story in your book, which I've repeated many times, which kind of uh, illuminates that point that, the, you know, you weren't dealing with really well-trained motivated fighters. I forget who it was, but it was an Afghan guy. And I think it was an officer and he thought when the sun set, it was a dragon blowing out the sun. And your point was, this is who we're dealing with. I, and wish, I, wish, this- I wish I was up and I tell people,
2: if you've never been set foot in Afghanistan, um, you wouldn't believe what it's like. And I don't mean, I don't mean these politicians that fly into Bagram Airfield or Kabul and they get, you know, parade around the airfield, whether they are in their body armor and whatever they're being told, and then they leave. That's not Afghanistan. Afghanistan's the Cornwall Valley. Afghanistan's in the Shuriak Valley, the Pesh River Valley. This is where, this is where they really, yeah. And th- there were people um, that we, we had their, uh, their communication. They're convinced there's a dragon wakes up every single day that spits a jewel into the sky. <laughs> and and I'm serious. And if, uh, if they said the only way is with a, a, a German made B-52, which doesn't exist uh, somehow they got their, their in, uh, intelligence wrong. Uh, the only way to kill them is that, but if they're nice to the dragon, he'll light the sun every day. And it's so r- ridiculous. I, I'm, I'm not making this up. And we'd go to our bosses and say, here, let's go tell these guys the Taliban is. We'll kill the dragon by ourselves and guarantee the sun rises tomorrow. And some of, some of my bosses were like, well, that's stupid. And I'm like, well, is it? I mean, is it stupid?
0: This whole thing is stupid. You said that we had this war won in 2004. Uh, what did you mean by that? And do you think that's when we should have left, 2004?
2: Um, well, yes and no, um, we should have, we should definitely shouldn't have surged like we did the surge did work in a, in Iraq and, um, just the whole, uh, monkey see monkey do type attitude of, of the military. This is the way we've always done it. Let's just surge in Afghanistan. Everyone on the ground in Afghanistan said sending more people into Afghanistan is a horrible idea. Nobody listens. We surged. What we should have done is just kept the, the, the airfields open the, you know, we had a really great airfield in Bagram. We had one in uh, Jalalabad, which turned into a really nice place, and then there's even one in Kandahar. Keep one in Kabul for the embassy, but you don't need Marines, Air, and soldiers driving around scaring people, because whether whether or not you like it, the longer you stay in a place, you're going to be seen as an occupier, and that's just what was going to happen. We knew we needed to keep those uh, um, Jalalabad airfield type places open, cross-border intelligence and cross-border operations like Bin Laden or uh, if and when they, well, and we knew where a lot of them were, we just didn't bomb them because we're weak. We're we're a very, very tough, weak nation. We won't do what needs to be done. Like uh, if you notice the Russian embassy and the Chinese embassy, they didn't close in Kabul. they're still open right now. You know why? Because even the Taliban realizes you mess with China or Russia, they'll kill you. We're not like that. Like, like maybe we'll, we might uh, give you a scolding make you sit through a seminar and then tell you
0: which bathroom to eat. <laughs> You're you're you know a lot more about this than I do but I have a, a a military question for you if you're planning to withdraw to leave a place does it make sense to leave a, you know your people and all your stuff there or would you would you advise taking that with you
2: no you, i I think you take it with you and you don't need to do a drawdown this fast and you surely don't give a timeline the Taliban al-Qaeda ISIS they don't need to know the, even the puppet uh, um, government that we put in place um, didn't even know when we were leaving. Yeah, you bring it with you because you're just enabling the enemy, and giving them, giving them all that stuff. And it's, I mean, it's not. That it, we make stuff so difficult; it's almost laughable. It's like Here's here's the solution. If any general is listening, here's the solution right now. Get 8,000 marines, give them, let them drive through the streets of Kabul, kill everyone who is outside, and then when people go inside, don't kill them. Uh, then grab the Americans, turn around one of the 10 planes we should have and leave. Keep it simple. It's, this is not difficult. But then, we, you know, we just get these people in charge. who are so worried about diversity and so worried about uh, political experimentation with the military. When we've, we've, we've been so guarded right now. We've forgotten the military. The U.S. Marines and, and Army Infantry and the Airborne, Navy SEALs, Green Berets, we are there to kill people. And we'll, and we'll kill you good. Seriously, like kill you good. We won't even torture you. But now, there, there are, the, the, let me break it this
0: soliloquy down. There are morons in charge. I, I think I know one general to say that you have a problem with white rage right here. That's what he would say. You know,
2: yeah, yeah. That, I think it was Millie, too. That's another crazy thing, too, that they're trying to get us through there. When I was a Navy SEAL for a long time, we would talk to each other. None of that. Matters. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're a woman. If you're a woman, I don't care if you're a gay dude. I really don't care. As long as you can do the mission and we did not lower the standards, we'll just do the mission. That's what it was. That's how the enemy thinks. That's how the sniper, sniper corps uh, feel in, in the Marines. Um, it's these politicians and especially the media. They just want this out there because they want an argument, because they need the ratings, because the, you know, when they, Ruth say the loudest boos come from the cheapest seats.
0: What What do you think happened? I mean, I know now what you'd like to see happen. It's probably not going to happen. You're not going to send the 8,000 in there and just start shooting people. What is going to happen? What, is you, what are you expecting in the next couple of weeks? Well, they are going to send 8,000 more in.
2: Yeah, I describe it, and I think I could just be very, very hurt and angry right now. Right. I don't mean shoot everybody. <laughs> I just mean the guys with the guns that look like they might be Taliban, you know, give them a quick nine ball to the forehead. Um, the rest of them will leave. They'll, they'll leave when they fight us. But we, 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 unfortunately, we will need to take some, some of these airfields back, and it's going to take a couple thousand troops. And, and this is a typical Democrat, just like, yeah, let's just all leave. We want to get home oh, I was completely wrong. Let's send in another 16,000 troops for real combat. That's, I mean, that's just, it's just what's going to happen. And it's because people in charge don't listen to people below them because they're better than them. They're more powerful and they're elected officials. And it's stupid. I've called the resignation for everyone. I mean, some of these, um, <clears throat> even some of these Republicans, high and mighty right now, I think they were senators when we lost Vietnam. It's time to leave.
0: But what happens if there are uh, hostages? I mean, it seemed like at some point they're going to Have some Americans and or or uh, some allies, and they're going to say, "We're not giving you them back unless you do X." Is that? Well, that's when you you go take them, and that's why we have hostage rescue teams. That's what I I was a part of a hostage rescue team for a long time. You send them in, you
2: send Delta Force and send Marsak in, and you don't need to talk to the Taliban and ask, "Are you going to give them back?" You go in, you take them. It's that simple. The the Somali pirates didn't want to give up Captain Richard Phillips in 2009 but my team jumped in we flew from virginia to the ocean we jumped in we killed them and we took the hostage again not complicated kill the bad guy save the good guy get the girl that's how it works
0: what does uh, what does a taliban guy fighter do with a black hawk helicopter do they do they learn how to fly it will well, they learn how to use the drone? they probably try to chop it up with their sword and eat it <laughs> Um, that must just offend the hell out of you. It offends the hell out of me that we just left billions of dollars worth of technology. Just yeah. left it there. I don't... We're
2: I mean, posing in our military uniforms making fun of Iwo Jima. There's a picture of that out. The uh, yes. uh, Taliban yeah. wearing, wearing American uniforms making fun of Iwo Jima. And that, I mean, if that's not a slap in the face, I don't know what it is I, You know, I wish we had some Iwo Jima Marines in there. This wouldn't last very long.
0: It just seems like so wrong that they now have all our technology. Do they share it with the Chinese? Do they use it? Do they force the Afghans to change sides and fly for them now?
2: Yeah, the, uh, the Afghans, they'll change sides. A lot of them will. And and God bless them. Most people in that country are just trying to get on with their lives. And now they're living in hell. And um, as, you know, as a father on the ground or something like that, I would my recommendation would be do whatever you need to do to survive and to keep your family alive. And that's just that i uh, not going to share anything with China, all of their natural resources that China's going to steal anyway. And then have, they'll have a gateway through Pakistan and Afghanistan to the sea so they can get – and China's going to be a big push here. I mean, we're – we're like I was talking about earlier, we're in the 24-hour news cycle um, where none of this matters in a couple of days. But uh, China's building, and China's going to build a naval naval base in Western Africa, and I didn't misspeak there. And, and um, watch – mark my words on this one. It sucks to be right all the time, but I usually am uh, wait for, wait for Taiwan. Um, wait, wait till China takes over Taiwan and then starts moving near Australia. And, uh, that would be a point where as Americans, what we use as a, as a triage is, uh, is, uh, forward defense, alliance, solidarity, and deterrence. And we've lost
0: all of those now. I gotta ask Rob, what is the Irish fighting rock? It feels like something I should know. I should know what that is. What is it? The
2: Irish fighting rock is, um, what well, one of my friends pulled one night? He's a um, one of my brothers from uh, Chicago, who's Irish heritage, Irish and Lithuanian. I got to add because that gives a little more fire to it. He ended up getting in a in a in a fight at at a bar at a house party one night where he wasn't invited. Left the place, tore back a piece of the street off, went back in, shattered the bar with it, and said, "Remember me? I didn't come alone this time. I brought my Irish fighting rock." And, um, he said, "I'm not really sure what that meant, but I just had 24 out loud."
0: Time to bring the Irish Fighting Rock to the uh, to the enemy, I guess. And uh, yeah, I don't know. He's done it. Um, so you don't know, obviously, how this plays out. But do you fear the worst, like I do, that this is going to get worse before it gets better, or you think we're going to be out of there and make a clean break in the next? Well, couple
2: weeks? I mean, I think the only optimism that I have is um, that the Taliban only wants to keep Afghanistan and the valleys they have there and they want to run sharia on the islamic state of afghanistan the problem is now that isis and al-qaeda are rolling back in there and they're there right now uh they're going to start training up again and they have places to train they have places they can do stuff where we should be able to bomb them but we gave up all of our airfields they're going to gear towards attacks and not just for america at first it's going to be in the west and i feel really bad i mean. You know it, i i would come through our southern border right now if i was a terrorist and want to attack this country and the, and the issue is we're so um head to head with uh who's wrong who's right politically that we've forgotten about al-qaeda and just because you don't think you're at war with someone doesn't mean they're not at war with you and I, and they want to hit us again in the homeland and it's scary i hate it um i wish there was no war and I, I really would love it if everyone could sit down over coffee chill out not the case these are fanatics and the problem is um, they're believers. If you want to hear the truth, follow Mikuya on Twitter, M-C-H-O-O-Y-A-H. And That's uh, right. if you want to get involved in some online fights with people who don't know what they're talking about, it's a great place to do it. Normally, I just use Twitter for entertainment, but I've been a little bit serious lately because it's such a shame <clears throat> what's happening. So many, so many of my brothers and sisters who've lost their, lost their lives and how much you know time I've missed away from my kids going to Afghanistan for a politician to come in here. The election and just get rid of it. So it's a very dark week for um, uh, a lot of the veterans, and you know I've talked to a lot of them. They they're all in agreement with me. I don't care what anybody says. Um, you know they, they you know want, they want to go um, and save these Americans. I still have faith faith in this country. I just think we really need to clean from the top down and get new people in charge. And um, and everything this affects everything from the indoctrination. Of our children by the Marxist teachers they have in public school which everything like that. We really need people to be aware. Little things like uh, voter ID, one vote on one day in person, because this is what happens. <clears throat> it's, it's a shame to see it come to this. Even though Nikita Khrushchev uh, warned us about it in the '50s, told us he's going to beat America without firing a shot by taking over our schools, our media, and our entertainment, which they did. So it's just a, it's a it's a scary. I try to talk to even my kids about it. They don't believe me, but it's like, you know what? It's not going to be my problem. I did my part. I tried to fight. Best of luck.
0: Well, we appreciate the time, Rob, and uh, keep it up uh, because I'm I'm telling you, I feel like you're speaking for a lot of people uh, when you're tweeting and and talking. And we uh, we appreciate the time and uh, good luck, my friend. And uh, go and read. Get get Rob's book. Is it The Operator? The Operator? Or just... Uh, the the operator, operator is my book. And we got
2: another one coming out with Dakota Meyer in March called The Way Forward that we wrote about what to do next, which is kind of fitting. Ooh, so that'll
0: good.
2: Be get the Operator. You can get us. I will sign anything you want uh, uh, at robertjoneal.com. I will seriously sign anything you ask me. I've had some funny requests. <laughs> and that's what we need, you know, is a little bit of morale, a little bit of humor, joke with each other. I don't need to sign. Yeah, you know, I used to break glass and kick people in the face or whatever. else. I'll, I'll sign something about how great of a mattress salesman someone is.
0: <laughs> I, I, I mentioned that uh, when uh, the New York Times said that uh, Bin Laden was a good family man, you had perhaps your greatest tweet ever when you said he used his wife as a human shield.
2: Yeah, he did. I'm not, not a very good family man. And he kept uh, his other wives downstairs. So keep, keep the young one upstairs the other two downstairs. Uh, yeah, I'm and sure you're a good family man.
0: Thank, thank God. He was eight feet tall, so you got a clean shot. But uh, we tall. appreciate it. <laughs> Easy shot. All right, Rob. Thanks. We will talk to you down the road. That is Rob O'Neill, the man who shot Bin Laden, the T.M.W.S.B.L. The man who shot Bin Laden and the and the author of the operator. He's got another book coming out. That's good news because the last one was excellent. And he's a great follow on Twitter because he speaks for a lot of people. He speaks for you know the people on the ground, the people who do the fighting, and he takes on the generals, the hack politicians like Millie and this guy Tony Thomas, a general. Who he's been feuding with and it's been good if you like if you like those kind of things he's a good follow and a good guy to root for and he pisses off a lot of the generals and a lot of the politicians and uh, he uh, holds nothing back he holds nothing back
1: all right next up is from the december 7th episode where jerry interviewed dan shaughnessy uh jerry talked to dan about the patriots unexpected run of success this year with a rookie quarterback um, Talked to Dan about covering the Celtics through their success uh, in the eighties and Dan's new book on Larry Bird called wish it lasted forever.
0: What's happening, Shaughnessy.
3: Hey Jerry. I'm good. How you doing?
0: First of all, I know you're a Belichick guy. So you had to enjoy sure. last night. I was a Brady guy. You were a Belichick guy. Um, I'm telling you, that was one of the most impressive nights of his pretty <laughs> impressive run here in New England. Would you agree?
3: I was laughing my ass off just watching that. It just got better and better. I'm like, what are they going to switch to the leather helmets for the fourth quarter? Here it was—it was crazy, and he was right. I mean, they had a chance to lose it; they very well could have lost it. But love how it was like third-string defensive back right. makes a big play. I mean, it—it it was just and just watching that offensive line. I mean, you played football; you understand it. I just know when the fatties are down there all working in concert like that, play after play, it's impressive. And and then you hear McDermott after the game; he's he's clearly Bill's taking up all this space in his head and. It was just, uh, yeah, I loved it. It It
0: is, and I made this point earlier. Belichick doesn't just beat guys, or the Patriots don't just beat teams. Sometimes they they destroy them. You know, they wreck them. Yeah. They rip their hearts out. They destroy their souls. I felt like that's what he did to McDermott last night. He's watching. He's saying, wait a second. They didn't pass the ball at all. These guys, there's no Brady out here. How, how are they doing that to us on our field? And afterwards, yeah. you know, McDermott says, let's not give Belichick too much yeah. credit. Wow. <laughs> I'm saying good luck in uh, 19 days when they play again. Even yeah. you, even I know you're, you, you've always been a Belichick. I have to be surprised what he's doing here. They're going to the Super Bowl, Shaughnessy. They've, they've won seven in a row. They've won the division. I'd say they won the division last night. They're going to get home field. They're going to get a bye. They're going to play in Foxborough in January again with a chance to go to the Super Bowl again.
3: I, everything you say is possible and true. I still think the Colts are going to beat them in that conference right now. You lose a game. It goes upside down. The bills yeah. went from being one to seven with a win or a loss in that game. And I mean, I just think the way the Colts are playing, having to go into Indy, I don't know. I just, if if they don't lose that game, Jerry. Yeah. I mean, they, they could run the table. I mean, yeah, I, if they do that, then they're going to be prohibitive favorites going into the tournament, but I still think they got a couple bumps ahead of him. It won't be right. Jacksonville or Miami.
0: Right. Jacksonville. I mean, think of it, the Jacksonville, Miami, and then Sean McDermott again in new England. Yeah. Uh, the Colts on the road, obviously is a tough one, but yeah. Can you believe we might see them in the super bowl and maybe against Brady? It just seems so surreal. And it, it, I, I say this all the time. I, we're going to talk about Larry bird yeah, on his yeah. 65th birthday. But when I was writing, and I, I know you went through this too, and it was a slow day, and I'd be talking to my editor, we had an expression. It was, uh, when in doubt, do Larry. When in doubt, find something to write about Larry. And, and my contention is, it was you could write about Larry Bird clipping his toenails, and it would be more interesting, and the readers would find it more interesting than if, I don't know, Dustin Pedroia hit a grand slam. Yeah. He just was a different, a different breed. And there was, I, I used to say there was no one like him, but in, in a way, Brady was like him too, because I went through that too, where it was, when in doubt, do Brady. Just say something, write something about Brady and people will read it.
3: Yeah. Our good friend Lee Monfield had that mantra going back to the, to the eighties, uh, Bobby Orr, Doug Flutie. Those four, you know, if you wrote about any of those guys, people would just read it. I still find it that way. Uh, a year and a half ago, early pandemic, I just did a column on me and Larry you know it was just a throwaway thing and that led to the book but any time and if you know they they can they quantify all this now with the metrics and so right. if you do something for the globe they know right away who you know who read it who who subscribed because of it who read to the bottom of it they know all that stuff now and it, it those names they work every time well uh
0: and and I talked to you during the pandemic when you were just I think starting out on this uh yeah. project and I said great idea because I look back kind of like you do that we were in the middle of that, and you were closer than I to that team to that guy, and you don't appreciate it when it's happening you know you appreciate you don't appreciate it enough, and I still say i mean he's not i wouldn't say he's the greatest player ever, but yeah i i there was no one like him, there was no one like Larry, there was no one like the the aura around him. he changed everything in the city, and not just for Celtics fans but for all New England fans, you know when he took the court he was just so cocky and just so good do you feel that way like at the time you didn't realize it and now looking back it was something special
3: i should have enjoyed it more than i did at the time and that was one of the reasons for the book kind of a smell of the roses moment there i was being the tough guy reporter and all you know balls to the walls and not having any uh, and they they didn't trust me the usual you know they called me scoop and larry would say scoop do you notice how quiet it gets when you walk in the room here Now that was okay. I mean, I understood that. So, uh, but there was good contentiousness. And when I look back, it's just the access we had to them. And with Larry, people want to know anything, like you say about cutting his toenails, any conversation, I went and got all of them. I had some tapes and I, I, I had some journals, jot stuff down, some stuff in the, in the microfilm, whatever you call it there. And, uh, just, just patched it together for this book. And there's a lot of Larry talking in there. And It's just, it always felt like you didn't, you wanted to know more because you never really felt like you knew that much. I mean, it was kind of like, he was like invented in Indiana and then he just shows up here and how did he become like that? And how much did being poor have to do with it? And how much did losing his dad early on have to do with it? And, and where do you get that, that hunger and, uh, and the cockiness? I talked to him, there's one conversation we're like in Cleveland and I was like, how do you not get intimidated by like James Worthy and Dominique Wilkins, these friggin' pogo sticks who are so <laughs> much better than you that jump higher and and he just he said I've never been intimidated on a basketball court. He said I remember in in high school, you know, they'd be trying to give it to my teammates during warmups. He said, you know, he says there'd be a guy with cornrows and all this like dunking down the other end and yelling trash down my way. He says I'd walk down there and say when this game's over, I'm going to own your ass. And, and, you know, and then he did. And, and it was like, and then you'd see these people who were physically far superior to him. I talked about the mechanics of that a little bit in the book where Buckner talks about it, just how strong he was. So, you know, it's one thing to be able to jump over the, you know, over the gym and, and all that stuff. But, and they say, if you get up in the air and you get that big ass and, and you're throwing it around, you know, you can move people around when you're in the air and that he had farm boy strength. And that's the bailing hay and all the stupid cliches you talk about. Those were true cliches. And Buckter had a funny one, too. He said when they were warming up, there was a game called knockout. You know, you're shooting, you're trying to not right. make the other guy's shot go out and make your – Buckner said he could, he could knock your shot away from the hoop and make his go in. He was playing pool and basketball mm-hmm. at the same time. I always say that the greatest
0: misconception that I've seen in my career was that when he started and people didn't think he was thought he was dumb, dumb. And I said, he spent five minutes around him. You know, he's not dumb. He's very aware of his surroundings. He used to sit on the table in the locker room, look at the clock and talk to the media. And he, he knew it only took 10 minutes. That's why he did it. He said, it's 10 minutes. He doesn't like doing it, but it's not a lot to ask for the money we make. And he understood there was a certain obligation there, but, did you, I mean, that's a great point. We don't really know that much of, he held back. You know, he was, he was smart and he did answer questions, but he held a lot back and you never really knew that much about him. You didn't, it's not like Tom Brady. We have a, like an eight part yeah. series come out yeah. on ESPN.com plus every, every, you know, six months. Uh, and that's why this book is a good idea. Cause I still feel like I, I would like to know more. About him I'll tell and,
3: you I'll tell you a couple you I mean, we allowed to use bad words on a, a podcast and all that okay I figured, so um you know they're in the book, so what the hell, but he uh you know the thing with his diet like like staying in shape was not easy for him. I'm surprised he's he has stayed as in good shape as he has because he looks pretty good when you're seeing these commercials and whatnot, because he hated it, and I, I would write about Maxwell getting a bag a bag of burgers from McDonald's. he'd send the equipment guy, you know Francis over there to get the bag of burgers, and Maxwell eat in front of his locker and. You know people wouldn't do that today i suppose because the diet restrictions and all that but but i used to write about that and larry would say, scoop don't write about that i eat just as bad as anybody on this team he says he says i hate i hate staying in shape when, when my career's over i will be the fattest fuck you've ever seen he says <laughs> you know just look out below because I'm, I'm i'm done <laughs> watching myself on this and one time he had during the late in the career when he had the bad back he had to miss about a month and he came back now seven or ten pounds heavier, and he said, "He said I was eating wedding cakes every day." And we said, "What? Why would you eat a wedding cake?" He said, "Who's gonna fuck up a wedding cake?" He said, "So, so he ate wedding cake." And just the way he, his logic, when we were on the road, he'd he'd say something like, "Like you or I would say if we were living that life." Like it get it'd get back to the bus after practice at the LA Forum, whatever. he would say, "Okay." We just got through shooting baskets. Let's get in our free bus and go back to our free hotel and eat yeah. some free food. He says, well, this life in the NBA, you don't like this. There's something wrong with you. And again, who among us wouldn't think that way? But none of them ever say something like that. I,
0: I saw him, and I'm sure you did too. Saw him, I saw him I light up a cigarette one time, and I was oh. like, holy crap.
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah.
0: that's, that's the way he was. I mean, well, You does... know
3: people, you know, that he was one of those ones. I had him in college, guys who would never do it, but when they had a few. Right. At the end of the night, the cigarettes would get going. He would do that. And he had a thing with the, with the bottles. Molson's were popular when I was traveling with the team, Heineken's, Molson's all that. And he had a, he drew a line on it. And, um, and it wasn't cause of the expense. I figured you know, he liked Pabst blue ribbon or, you know, cheap Budweiser or whatever, but it was the green bottle. He said, he said, I was in college once. You know, you're at those parties, you just pick up a random beer, start chugging it and says that third cigarette butt went down. And after that, I could never drink again out of a green bottle.
0: <laughs> I'm with him. It was Heffenreffer for uh, people. <laughs> that was a, they just call a green death. Um, but, uh, and, um. Did you think Bird was in would be Coach of the Year, Executive of the Year? Do you think he, after he played, I mean, he said he'd get fat. Do you think he would keep it going, be remain as competitive and as dominant as he was as a player?
3: It was interesting because he was good at both of those things, and I would not have I would not have been able to guess that he would be good at both things. Because you know like Ted, Ted Williams was kind of a crappy manager. When you're that good, a lot of times it doesn't translate. We know the drill there. But uh, I remember that he had a phony no-show job at Merrimack Street when he first retired from the Celtics. I, I came into that building one day, and I didn't know what floor the Celtics offices were on, and he was at the elevator, and we're both standing there, and I'm like, you don't know what floor they're on either, do you? And yeah, so, so he had two guys not knowing what floor, but his, his picture was on the masthead. So then, you know, he wouldn't be a, a big boss here, and he wouldn't coach here, because he wanted guys like you and me 45 years later to still be talking in these reverent tones so that there would never be anything to diminish his. He just wanted to walk away as this perfect player and that's it in Boston. So he, he, that was by design, but when he goes to Indiana, he does both. But when he took that coaching job, we talked to him, you and I, I had that recording too, Jerry, we had him on the radio with Glenn Ordway, you, me, and Glenn Ordway had him on, but it's like the night he got the job in Indiana, but we were all like dazzled that he had chose to do this. And uh, I'm like, you hate work and you don't want to do this. He said, I'm doing three years and um, that's it. And I think that went back to Bill Fitch, who in his fourth year, it kind of blew up. And I think he saw it as a term limits. So he honored that third year. He got to the finals and he walked. And, and uh, what's he do now, Dan? Did he sit down with you? Boy, I'll tell you what he doesn't do is, is re- return our phone calls. And, right. and I was prepared for that. I told Scribner. Hey, I'm not guaranteeing this guy because he's he's not been doing a lot. I think he's turned off the faucets. Well, that proved to be true. I can tell you, he didn't he didn't call Max. He wouldn't help Max with his book. He wouldn't he wouldn't return calls from Jackie or Bob Ryan. He has shut it off. And those are people who wrote his biographies and lived in his house. I mean, he loves them. So he's you know how he's sort of like across the board. If he does, if he's not gonna do one thing, he's gonna honor that with everybody else so that people don't think they're getting favored, or whatever. And I I knew I knew I wasn't gonna vault over those people because he loves them way more than me.
0: I always explained this to people that you were a great beat guy and the and the and and you didn't last. Because if you're a great beat guy, you can't last like yeah. 20, 30 years on a beat. You just you know, you just piss off too many people. And yeah. you did that on the Red Sox beat and on the Celtics beat. And I was glad to see that you didn't uh, leave, you know, you, you didn't leave out Robert Parrish's nope. uh, transgressions uh, in this book. I mean, obviously, it's about the team, that whole yes. franchise, McHale and Parrish and Ainge. And Parrish hated
3: you, correct? He hated one of the, one of the One of the chapter titles comes from Cedric Maxwell. 37 years later, I'm like, Max, what was it? Why did he hate me? And Max said, Chief, just has a disdain for your ass. So that's the title of the chapter. And it was always the case. I could never bring him out of it. And you will appreciate this. The one time I tried to, to you know, break through, talked to him at the airport in Detroit, because Quinn, Quinn Buckner was there and I was trying to break through. And he said to me, you know, he said, I'm not talking to you. I don't want to do this. We're not getting anywhere. And you remind me of, you remind me of my wife. You remind me of a woman, you know. Well, you're,
0: you're lucky he didn't hit you then, Dan.
3: That's what I re- That's what I thought of later when all that stuff came out.
0: And it, and he's lucky it was pre-social media because he still yeah. gets a standing ovation when he walks into the garden. And I, every time I, I just scratch my head. So these people realize, you know, what he did. Talk about a Me Too movement. He, you know, he smacked them around his wife more than once. And uh, as someone told me, he does it because he likes it. That's it's it's. It, it's uh, we, we don't have time to get into you know Parrish's, uh, Parish's track record, but. Uh, this book is about the team,
3: the era as a whole, correct? Not just about Larry. Yeah. I know
0: I'm obsessed with Larry, but uh, you kind of cover everything, right?
3: Yeah. So what happens is, you know, I mean, again, Larry gets here in 79. You know, the NBA today is nothing what it was like all those years ago. Right. And Larry and Magic made the big change. That, when they came into the league, the, the, the finals are on tape delay. 17 out of 23 teams are losing money. There's a drug problem in the league. And it's small time. I mean, they're, they're still flying commercial standard holiday and all that stuff. So Larry Magic come in and then into the 80s, you get this Larry Magic becomes like Ali Frazier, three times back and forth. And, and then Michael comes in and then it goes to the Dream Team in Barcelona and, and it's global. And now you have this. What, what you don't have today is, is the ability for the, the writers to tell the fans what they're like. So this is sort of a window back to us being able to you know, live with them, buy a commercial, wait for bags, tell you what they're like. And, and this group, and I know you were a, a fan and then a writer, but this group was unusually confident and, and secure in their own greatness. They weren't worried about touches. They weren't hugging the other team after the mm-hmm. game to, to form a super team in the offseason. They, they hated Bill Lambeer. Larry hated Bill Lambeer so much. His first question when he would make the All-Star game was, is Lambeer a reserve? Because if he is, I don't even want to go because I, I hate going to practice with Lambeer. Getting on the bus day of practice and Bill sitting in the front row going, "Good morning, Larry." And I would go, "Fuck you, Bill." You know that's how he hated the NBA. He was not all about hugging him after the games. So again, and, and go to you were there those Celtic practices, seeing Parish against Walton, Bird against Scott Wedman. You know, DJ. You know, going against Rick Carlisle. These things they they were they loved each other and they they loved playing against each other and breaking chops and having fun and and then going out and kicking ass and taking names. It was just. It was extraordinary to be around and it is to this day and i had the unique distinction to go from that team of confident greatness to the insecure 86 red sox and that's <laughs> that's in the book too and bruce hurst gives this great passage he's like yeah i i was around those celtics because i was friends with danny i'd go to practice and those guys were they were confident they cheered for each other they helped each other there was no jealousies or insecurities he says we were the exact opposite we hated each other. You know, we harbored bitter feelings. Who's getting the most credit? You're trying to crawl over this guy to get to the big leagues. We had none of that grace or confidence or security that those players had. It was. It's It's one of the great passages that any athlete has ever said to me. It's great. That is
0: good. Plus, they had the nastiest guy in charge in John McNamara and of one of the nastiest guys uh, in Jim Rice. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you mentioned competing with each other. And, and before I let you go, you got to mention at least one of the stories about uh, competing with you. What was the story of, of, of uh, you uh, shooting free throws with Bird? He taped up
3: his. Hands well, it's or- funny because you, this this came up again, that interview with Ordway. I don't know how I had that tape, Jerry, but it comes up again years later. So anyway, it's 85. He gets in a barroom fight. His hands messed up. We don't know why his hands messed up but at practice. They're playing the Sixers in the conference finals conference semis. And his, his hands taped like a web like this. And I'm like, after practice, you can't play in a game like that. And he says, scoop, I could take my whole hand and make more shots than you. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that's not really the point. And he had done this before, obviously. He's like, no, we're going to do, we'll see who can shoot free throws with tape on his hand. So they, they, they put his hand in a fist, Ray Malkiori balled it up. And he says, we'll do a hundred, dollars $5 a throw, mm-hmm. 10 shots around. He says, you want to go first or I'll go first? I said, uh, I said, I'll go first. He says, you don't like the pressure, do you? I'm like, that's correct. But I was a good free throw shooter in high school, like yourself. So, you know, I go out there I make, you know, I made six out of 10. He goes out there, he's pushing them off. He makes six. I'm thinking this is going to be okay. Second round, they all start going in. I'm not even moving. I'm just standing there. It's coming through the net. And I hear him. He says, I got this figured out. And he did. They were all going in. So he made 86 out of hundred with his hand like that. I would own him $160. And uh, the next night, you know, he'd have that shooting drill early at the garden late in the afternoon. I'd go there and he'd come up with his greedy palm out. Where's, where's my 160 bucks scoop. So I gave him his eight twenties and he put it in his sock, play with my money in his shoe all night. No. Then he goes out to dinner with Dinah the next night. And he says, uh, after he tells me two days later, he says, yeah, Dinah, we had our big dinner off you scoop. And then Dinah said, Larry, you know, we had our big dinner. You should give that right of the rest of that money back. He goes, can you imagine her saying something like that? I'm like, no, what a sap that diner is, you know? So it was just, and then we did that show when he got the job with the Pacers. We're asking him these stupid questions, all on the radio, you, me, and Ordway. And I, I made some, you know, like, you, you don't want to work anymore. He goes, all I know is I got $160 in my pocket scoop. I mean, he never forgot the number. I, uh, man, he
0: was the best. And I wonder today, right now, today, if he we was sitting in the table in the middle of the locker room and we asked him about, I don't know, we asked him about Trump, you know, or asked him about, uh, lockdowns or asked him about, you know, Hunter Biden. I don't know. You, I mean, would he be as compelling as interesting? Would he, or would he hold back? Would he be like LeBron? Would he be, uh, you know, uh, hold, uh, carrying water for China like LeBron and, and, and other NBA guys.
3: He'd say something that would make you wonder. You wouldn't—he'd right. he, leave it ambiguous enough so you wouldn't be sure. That's what that, I think you would do.
0: That—that that is a good answer. Although I know at heart he probably would be a Trumpkin. He'd probably be probably with me on that. <laughs> uh, just to guess, but uh, he is 65 today, and I wasn't always so sure he'd make it there. Uh, I know. Uh, and you know, he's one of those big guys with
3: the big. Yeah, genes. big people, man.
0: And you know, I don't know about his genes. We know his father killed himself yeah. while on the phone with his mother. Correct.
3: Uh, correct. Yeah, they were coming for him. They were going to put him in jail for child support.
0: And he called her up and he did the deed while she was on the line. If that's not going to affect you forever. And uh, it, it's amazing what he accomplished when you consider where he came from. But uh, happy birthday to Larry and congratulations to you, Shaughnessy. It's called, um, what's it called again?
3: Wish it lasted forever. Life with the Larry Bird Celtics. It's available on Amazon, your local bookstore. Take care of him. Make sure they have them because they're selling fast and they're running out, and they gotta reorder. Tell them to reorder too.
0: I'm I'm getting it for Christmas, and as soon as I'm done with the laptop from hell, I'm diving into Wish It Lasted Forever. Uh, good job, Dan. Thanks for uh, joining me this morning, and good luck with the book and Merry Christmas. And uh, maybe we'll uh, see you at the Super Bowl, Shaughnessy. I would've been telling you about shade concrete for a long, long time. Today we're sitting with the man who makes it all work. The man. In charge of the whole place, my brother-in-law, Greg. Hey, Greg, seems like business is booming at Shea Concrete. We're cranking that out, Jerry. Well, uh, I'm I'm, I'm just wondering, what's holding you back these days? We could use some good help. You need people? We need people. How many people do you need? At least 20 people. 20? Well, what kind of people? We have positions driving trucks, working in the production plants, estimating engineers, All kinds. Do you need any podcasters? You know, we do have the precast podcast. (laughs) Well, I I think it seems like a great place to work, as I tell people. It's a family atmosphere. You guys are good to your people. There's a great gym here at the headquarters. Uh, What's holding you back? Why can't you find people? Besides being to work on time, you have to pass the drug test. (laughs) You have to pass a drug test. That's all it takes. All right, if people want to uh, come see you, they want to talk, what do they have to do? Bunch of ways. They can, if they want to be a team member, they can go to SheaConcrete.com, fill out an application. They can come to our, any of our offices. we got four locations. They can call me up directly. They can email jobs at SheaConcrete.com. And you'll give them a hat? And We'll you'll give them a hat. Hats. Yep. All right, sounds good. SheaConcrete.com. I saw a really cool, uh, nice cafeteria here. Can we go have lunch? Oh, absolutely. we got empanadas and chicken. <laughs> Excellent. I don't know what they are, but I'm going to go have an empanada. All right, the uh, intersection of sports, culture, and politics is at the heart of the new weekly podcast, The Long Game with LZ and Leach, because sticking to sports in 2021 and probably 2022 just isn't possible. Sports extends beyond what happens on the field, court, or the pitch. It's in everything, which is why LZ, Grandison, and Will Leach cover the expanding world of sports and how the events on the field affect events off the field and vice versa. New episodes are out every Wednesday, so you can head to TheRecount.com or your preferred podcast platform to listen to all available episodes.
1: All right. Last up is from last week where Mike Milbury joined Jerry to talk about uh, Mike getting canceled from NHL coverage on NBC, as well as what he's doing now uh, on his new podcast, Mike Milbury's Fight Club.
0: Hey,
4: Mike. Yeah, this is like, I mean, what the hell is StreamYard? It's It's just just a zooming it's it's freaking StreamYard. I'm trying to figure out how
0: to use StreamYard and I'm I'm too old for this shit. I got I got news (laughs) for you, Mike. That's your life now. That's your life. You're a podcaster. You (laughs) you better get used to it, pal.
4: I guess so. But anyway, I've been trying for twenty five minutes because this is the second time we've had uh, like a little (laughs) kick up trying to chat. But now we're here and uh, Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas to you, Mike. It's great to hear from you. I've been uh, talking about your case for like a year and a half because uh, I do lots of uh, cancel culture talk on this show. I got canceled myself, but my favorite ones, my favorite cancel culture stories are the guys who got canceled for doing nothing, doing nothing. And that would be you, my friend. You got canceled by NBC for doing nothing a year and a half ago. And I wonder, as you look back, I know you're, you're starting a podcast, you're moving on, but you said... You won't allow them to cancel you. What, what do you What do you mean by that? And what do you think when you look back and at what NBC did to you?
4: You know, I when I think back and I look I look back on it, I I still scratch my head. I've been um, I I really have had a lot of support from a lot of people as I just walk down the street and people say you got you got screwed, and I. I don't know what happened. I believe there was some sort of group or number of people didn't like the way I broadcast or things that I said, and, and I don't know if it had anything to do with with women or the sport in general. You know, when I would criticize, for example, Alex Ovechkin, quite often Ted Leonsis would call Gary Bettman, and Barry, Gary Bettman would call, Sam Flood, my executive producer, at NBC, and they'd complain about that, or if I criticized Sidney Crosby, and these are great players and players that I totally admire, but you know when they make bad plays, they make bad plays, and you're supposed to talk about them so yeah. I think there may have been a sort of undercurrent of like get this pain in the ass off the air, but what I said, which and I repeated again that that there weren't any women in the bubble to be a distraction, I think is really a fair statement. Like, there are no distractions in the bubble. It wasn't meant to be misogynistic. It wasn't meant to be uh, uncomplimentary to women. It was just simply that there was a, a sole focus on playing hockey. And, and I stand by it. And if they want me to go away... And, and you know what, Jerry? They, they paid my salary for oh, good. you know the, the rest of the year till the end of my contract uh, and sort of prevented me from really... Striking back at them, you know they paid me to go away, and uh, I'm still scratching my head, still trying to figure it out. Not, I don't have much time left on the planet, so I don't really <laughs> want to be bitter and waste my time being bitter. But uh, I'll I'll go to my grave thinking well, this this was wrong. And well, when I when I waited till the end of my contract was up, so I didn't want to jeopardize getting any of the the dollars that were coming in. And when I called Gary Bettman, and Bettman, in the course of the conversation, said he couldn't even remember what I said, <laughs> I then just thought, like to myself, "This is—it's uh, really surreal." It was just totally surreal, and I, I couldn't believe that I was going through it. I still can't believe that I went through it, but there it
0: is. I—I I, I can't either. <clears throat> it's amazing, and I know it's easier to cancel guys who are controversial, like you, who've said things before that have caused a stir. But in this case you just stated a fact that they're in the bubble and it helps because there are no distractions, whether it's a wife or kids or a a family dog, they're not there. So it's easier for the coach to get the players to focus. It's the same thing with when the NBA was in their bubble. Um, When uh, did you you know you stepped in it?
4: I didn't know that I stepped in it until I got a call the next day. And uh, my boss told me, Sam Flood told me, listen, you, you, uh, you've got a problem and we've got a problem and you're going to have to apologize. And I said, you're, I said, are you, you're, you're shitting me. You're kidding me. Like, really? This is really a problem. I was, I was, I was befuddled by the whole thing. And then, and what, and I've done this on a number of occasions. I had done this. I just said, tell your PR people to write whatever the hell they want. I don't care what they write, stick my name on it and let's just move on. Cause that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought it was such a you know tempest in a teapot uh like other things had been, and may imagine having to apologize for you know criticizing Crosby or ovechkin like it's just silly it, it anyway this one was in my mind was simply a uh, let fly past this, let's get past this and 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 move on we'll do the next game and then I, the apology was issued. I didn't even read it. Didn't say anything about it. Didn't, didn't really care. And then the NHL came out that afternoon, the, the day after I had those comments and, and call my uh, comments, non-inclusive. And okay. well, I don't know what the hell else they said. And, 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 um, then the next day I got a call from NBC and said, we're not going to put you on for the rest of the year. Um, because of these comments. And I'm like, now I'm like, really, I'm I'm really confused. And so they're sending me home, but they, but they said, we'll talk about your schedule for next year. Once we get through the rest of the playoffs, which was another round or two, whatever it was. And so I went home and, uh, and I was still trying to figure out how this could have possibly happened. When I got the call about a week and a half later from from my boss and he said, We're we're not bringing you back no. and then my only question was, like, Are so are you still paying me? And he said, Yes, we'll pay you to the end of the contract. And I I didn't even didn't even delve into the specifics of it. I was so pissed off and uh that's where that's where it was. That's where I left uh, it. I just right, walked now, out I the door I, and think, I,
0: I think I know the answer to this Mike, but uh who was offended? Who specifically was offended by your comment?
4: To the best of my knowledge, there was a reporter, a woman reporter from The Athletic who's was uh, straying. And then somebody else, another woman somewhere. I, I, I don't know. Uh, the NHL has hired. I didn't even know they had hired such a person. But around that time or somewhat before that, they hired a woman. Tim Davis, who's the head of diversity and inclusion in the NHL. And uh, I, I have no idea what her role is or was. Uh, I do know that Katie Strang wrote an article and that prompted people to pay attention to what I said or what she said. But other than that, it went away so quickly. Like it was just like, it was like a had been beheaded and uh, I was gone. I was just gone. It was just, it was so fast. It was so, I mean, do you remember any kind of long-standing discussion about my comments? No, it was nothing. No, no. It was just, and, like, I mean,
0: I did it. Oh, I did it here because these cases fascinate me, fascinate me. We reached a point in cancel culture where you really don't have to say anything uh, offensive and you really don't have to really offend anybody. You just get, a target on your back and they, and they make you disappear and the cowards in the media don't stand up for you. I've, I've said this many times when you get canceled, you find out who your friends are. And I assume you've been through that Mike where some people who you thought were friends just ran the other way. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't put it quite as strongly as that, but I would say that, you
4: know, I mean, what, let's go the other way. Catherine Saplan came on at the end of the last game of the playoffs and and said some really complimentary things. I mean, I was instrumental in helping her career, as particularly at NBC. Uh, and I was so proud of her and so proud of the fact that she would come to my, my defense. Um, it wasn't immediately. It was a couple, you know, maybe a month or so later, but I was just, so gratified that she would recognize that that I was an important part of her career, but there were other women that I've helped in their careers that didn't feel compelled to step forward, and that today pisses me off. I would let them remain nameless, powers uh, that they are, but I, I just, it was just, you know, this was
0: not intended to be misogynistic. It wasn't, it wasn't intended it, to be. It, anything, it been, you, it, like, Mike. You don't have to explain. You don't. It was ridiculous. I'm looking at the comment, right? It's ridiculous. It's, it's a fact. If you don't have your wife and kids and spend pets and things yeah. there in the bubble, you could focus yeah. easier. The coach's job is easier. I mean, it, it was a, it was a right. perfectly appropriate thing to say. And they, again, came after you because lots of people didn't like you. You've said many controversial things. And they took this opportunity to take you out. And the people in the media around you and, and, and all over the media are, are just, they're the cowards. They're the kind, they know this is not right and they don't care because they might not, you know, they just don't like you. So they're going to enjoy the fact that, that they uh, use this opportunity to get rid of you. It's, it's, it's insane. It's wrong. And and you should never sit there and, and you know, try to make sense of it because it makes well, no sense.
4: I, I, uh, I, you referred to the comment that I made earlier. And I, I don't think anybody who's been so-called canceled, for not a good reason, or any reason, um, you shouldn't feel canceled. You can't, people can't cancel other people. Who the, who the fudge do they think they are canceling people? I mean, what the? You can't cancel me, and I'm still alive. The only the only person that's gonna cancel, cancel me is the Grim Reaper, as I've said. Like, just you just you can't do it, and I, and I'll fight back. And I have a, a small voice on my own little podcast, and I'm talking to you, and I talk to other people, and I and I'm, I'm not going to let that happen to me without without
0: pushback. It's just wrong. It's just well, totally wrong. And, there are and, other and, there uh, are other media outlets that cover the NHL. Do you feel blackballed? Do you feel like they're afraid to 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 bring you on because you have been uh, because because of what NBC did to you?
4: Well, Jerry, I've been was almost 50 years associated with the league in the last like 15 were with Nathan, CBC, TSN, and NBC, and on all of those positions, I was their lead studio analyst for fifteen years, and so I must have been doing something right. Right. But when this happens, uh, the NBC, and this was a kind of fortuitous thing, that they got screwed out of the contract with the NHL. They didn't. They didn't put up the right money, and after 15 years, the NHL was, mm, Gary Bettman is, after every last dollar he can, because that means another dollar in his pocket, not just the league's pocket. They walked away from NBC and they went to TMT and ESPN. I, I have seldom had an agent in my life, but I I, uh, I asked somebody to help me out and make a call to, to ESPN, and basically, they got my name out of their mouth, and ESPN hung up the phone and said, no, thanks. We called TNT, TNT, and TNT basically did the same thing. They just pretty much hung up on on my age, and uh, it, was, it was pretty clear there were some other elements that work. What they are, I can't answer the question. I, it's, just, it's just speculation on my part, but after that length of time and in my role to be just simply dismissed, and I've seen some of the people that they have working at these stations and they, they can't carry my jock strap. No, nope. You know, I really, not to be self-promoting, but I I've seen some of them and they're just, they're awful. And, and, uh, they don't say anything. They, they're, they're, they're like, their legs are cut out from underneath them because I don't know, that's the culture. But uh, anyway, to answer your question, it was a, it was a closed book immediately.
0: Everybody is playing scared now in the business. <clears throat> that's why they're so, you know, <clears throat> they're, they're not good at the job. You were good at the job because you were on the edge sometimes and maybe you went over it occasionally, but that's not reason to fire and blackball a guy. I, I wonder, what is your relationship like now with Gary Bettman? Do you, do you feel like he, he screwed you?
4: Um, well, as I referenced, when the last conversation I had with him, and I waited for all the dust to settle, and you know cool, cooler heads prevailing um, when I asked him about this incident, and he didn't have a recollection of what i said <laughs> i I knew that he I knew that he had fallen victim. He said at one point in the conversation, where you and I are dinosaurs now mike i said well i'm no i'm not i'm still I'm still alive i'm not a you know I'm not a dinosaur I, I i think I can think reasonably I think I can roll with punches. I think I see the new wave of things that are happening and but you know when he couldn't he couldn't remember why I had been you know sanctioned officially by his by his league, the one that he runs i was just i just gave up on it I just said this guy is has got he's got no balls sorry he's got no balls and he's got no 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 ability to to stand up to anything that's current or new and he's just going to roll with the punches. Take his $10 million a year or whatever the hell he's making and then ride off into the sunset at the appropriate moment. I, I have no time for him anymore.
0: Well, I, I got bad news for you, Mike. You are a dinosaur. You're not allowed to you know, express your honest opinion or criticize people anymore. Those days are over. Everybody who's sitting in the chair that you once sat is afraid that they will do what you did and say something perfectly appropriate and get targeted for cancellation. So the idea that, that you were good at the job and you were candid and you were honest and you were critical, that's not allowed anymore. So you're at least not allowed on network or ESPN. God knows ESPN, that's the most uh, woke, uh, politically correct outfit out there. You have no chance of ending up there. Unfortunately, my friend, you are you a are dinosaur. Hey, they they sort of
4: invented woke. They had so many uh, sexual harassment cases at ESPN that it was it's hard to keep count. And yet now all of a sudden they've, they've woken up in the, in the wrong fashion as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it just, it's uh but you're right. It's a different world and it's tougher to navigate. But if people don't speak up and don't talk about how this is impacting people's lives, it won't go away. It won't change. And, and it really needs to change. We need to,
0: we need to stem the tide somehow, Jerry. Right. I, I agree. It's crazy. And it's not about you or me. It's about, you know, our kids and grandkids. Are they going to, this is the world they're going to live in where everybody's afraid to speak their mind because the mob, the woke mob might come after them, the Boston Globe or, or ESPN or some group might come after them and demand their, their head on a, on a stick. It's, it's scary. It's a scary thing. I wonder if you were still on the job, if you were still in the studio and the NHL canceled the season or at least canceled a week because of, uh, because of COVID. What, what would you have to say about that? I know a number of people think it's nuts because most of the people testing positive have no symptoms. They're young, they're healthy. They're perfectly fine. I think there's no reason they shouldn't just play on. What do, what do you think, Mike?
4: I think, I wish I were more informed of all of this stuff, but I mean, I read today that Northeast Ohio hospitals are full to capacity. Here around the Cape, they're filled to capacity. But I don't see anybody, I don't get it. I'm not seeing people dying by Around me, but uh, apparently we have 800,000 people dead. I know some of them had pre-existing conditions. I'm confused by it, but I am. I'm not confused by this. I, I believe that if, if this is the disease that's going to end our the human race, we might as well go out in a party. You know, just let's just get out there and go fishing, go play basketball, go to a game, go to a theater, and just live on. We we can't we can't keep going like this. We're gonna we're not gonna survive economically. We're not gonna survive socially. Um, somehow we have to play on, don't we?
0: Yes, we do. Especially because the new Omicron, which has got everybody in a panic, is not killing anybody. I, I believe Alec Baldwin has still killed more people than Omicron. <laughs> but uh, you say you're confused, uh, Milbury. Well, get ready to get more confused because uh, your President Joe Biden is going to speak this afternoon update us on COVID and he's going to make it, he's going to say, he's going to send us all a, a rapid test so we can test ourselves what that does. I'm not sure, but uh, you've said over and over, you're not going to uh, allow them to cancel you. What do you got going on now? Where where can people hear your, uh, your honest opinions? Yeah. Cause I think, I think uh, it's, I, it's pretty I, clear that the NBC has not succeeded in uh, emasculating you, my friend. No, that, that, that's going to happen, but I have,
4: com is where you can get my podcast and we'll we we do it every day it's only 40 45 minutes depending on how long the guest goes we had some great guys on like uh and i hope you're going to come on sometime in the near future but uh darren tang's been on Eddie old keith jones harry sindon we had uh, joe britannia yesterday who's you know known locally as a goalie guru and we We've had a lot of laughs. One of the fun things about it has been to connect with people. You know, when you, you step away, as I did from my position and you have from your position, you know, you lose some contact with some people. Right. So having a podcast has been fun to like just, hey, I'm here. I'm alive. I'm doing well. We're, how are you doing? And it's a, a, a chance to go to the office when nobody goes to the office anymore. And I'm doing some... uh some work for WEI, which is just a little bit of a hit on Thursday mornings, uh, but, it, but it's been fun, and fun to talk to all the cast of characters, from Greg Hill to Courtney Cox and Jerome Wiggins over at WEI, and and um, I'm in the process of, of trying to write a book. We'll see how that goes, but I've, I've, I've hooked up with a few people that are, are helping me out. That's wow. been fun, and maybe the biggest challenge is Gary, I, at my, uh, my advanced age, I'm learning to play golf and, uh, wow. I'm having, fun. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm now living in Mashpee, New Seabury on the Cape, and, um, uh, mile and a half away from the golf course. I've never been a golfer. And, um, uh, you know, I was out there yesterday in 40 degree weather hitting the damn thing around by myself and,
0: and loving it. It was, wow. it was fun. Fifty years in the that's NHL, you I, never golfed. I mean, I—that—that's I, all all, no. that's all hockey players did in the summer.
4: I, um, you know, I had, I have six kids, and um, you know, it seemed to me a little unfair to like devote myself entirely to my profession from September until whenever we were out of the playoffs and right. April, May, or June, and then decide to play golf three days a week and that's like a six hour that's like a six hour deal and I just so I decided to spend a little more time with my little people and now that they're all big people I I can go out there and chase around the golf ball and it's been really it's the weirdest game ever like I you know I used to muscle my way through football or baseball or or hockey but now this is just a game that's played right between your, your ears. I yeah. mean, you can't, you can't muscle it. You have to focus, strike the ball and then move on to the next shot. It's just, it, I and mean, you've got nobody else to blame but yourself if it doesn't right. go well.
0: It's not, it's not a game, Mike. It's a drug. All right. It's a drug. Get, you, you're addicted now. It's dangerous, but uh, good luck with that. It is called the Mike Milbury fight club. They go to Mike Milbury fight to, to check it out. Is that the deal?
4: That's the deal. And, uh, you know, thanks for catching up with me. And uh, I'm glad you're still not pulling any punches. Um, And don't ever stop not pulling punches, my friend.
0: I I will not, and you won't either. This is the only place you can do it, man. You got to do a podcast because that's the only place you're allowed to speak your mind these days. But uh, we appreciate the time, Mike, and uh, we'll talk to you again. I'll come on the uh, Mike Milbury Fight Club anytime, my friend. Thanks
4: a lot. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Talk to you soon.